Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 22 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hypnosis friends and a warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. I send you a long time no see hug where I pull you in tightly for slightly too long that it verges on feeling uncomfortable. Yes indeed we are back. Once again in my own highly biased opinion I think I have a diamond of a show lined up for you today. In a short while I'll be sharing with you an interview with the hypnotherapist, mentalist, hypnotist, trainer, stage hypnotist, street hypnotist and regular on TV stations around the world, all-round gentleman and so much more, the one and only Mr. Reg Blackwood. Then I'll be looking at the hypnosis in the news stories, examining the media where hypnosis has featured. I'm going to offer up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis is portrayed in the media, but also comment on some of the content of those media stories. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest Reg Blackwood this week. We'll be exploring how to make hypnosis more available to the masses and examining whether it is a middle class phenomenon. We'll round things off with this week's Hypnosis Factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. This podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach, uh, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub, and all of whom, following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly, I have great respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. You can add your thoughts, comments and make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. So, first of all today is this week's interview. I'm delighted to be welcoming Reg Blackwood. Over the years I've known Reg's work and watched his trainings, I found it to be very agreeable and very likeable. My encounter with him here for Hypnosis Weekly proved to me that this was authentic and that I was right to think that. He's every bit as agreeable and likeable in real life. If you look at some of Reg's work online, you'll no doubt see that he's often referred to as the quicknotist, and not without good cause. He hypnotizes people in lightning speed. In his frequent television appearances, his stage hypnosis shows, his street hypnosis demonstrations, as well as during his trainings. There's a lot crammed into this interview and much of what he says can be unpacked and discussed in far more depth than a podcast such as this permits. I recommend repeat listening. I also hasten to add that Reg has recently become a father again. He has a nine-week-old son at home and was recording this with me at midnight over in New Zealand where he lives now. So my utmost thanks for him for that. Get comfy, my friends, turn up the volume, sip on your tea, enjoy this week's interview. 
So, as I've been discussing, I'm delighted, thrilled to have with me the one and only Mr. Reg Blackwood. Reg, welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Uh, thanks for having me, Adam. Um, first up, let's let's get to know a little bit about you. Um, tell us a bit about your background, okay? Tell us um, um, how you got into this field, uh, doing what you do today, and, and how you've arrived at where you are now. You know, tell us a little bit about your journey. It's a really long journey, actually, and uh, I'll try and cut it as short and keep it as interesting as I possibly can. <laughs> but I originally worked as a computer programmer back in the 80s, mm. and it was very clear that I was one of those computer programmers that was able to communicate between the end user and the, and the geek. Yes. So I very quickly got pushed into those kind of training positions where I had to train programmers or end users how to use their computer systems. Because we're talking, you know, in the 80s, we, we, there weren't many personal computers around. This was uh, mainframe and, and, and mid-range systems. Mm. From doing those presentations, I started to realize that I was actually quite good at them and quite funny. Yeah. And I used yeah. to get a lot of laughs. And what was really good was I, it was a really good testing ground for me to try things and make them look spontaneous mm. and back then we were using kind of um, overhead projection slides yeah yeah and i always remember one morning i had a particularly difficult bunch of programmers and i was very nervous and i'd been arranging the slides back at the hotel room before going to do the presentation and i put my first slide up on the on, on the screen and I, I flicked the switch and i I got my back to the screen, of course, and was talking to the people, and they all started sort of chuckling and pointing and giggling. And there was a big curly pubic hair on the slide, which had obviously been picked up from the from the floor in the in the hotel or from the bed or somewhere where I'd been sort of juggling with these slides. And it got such a good reaction; it worked as such a good icebreaker that I actually kept it there for, kept for the it. remainder of the training. At all. So. I, uh, I decided that I was going to try stand-up comedy. So instead of just going along and deciding I was going to try stand-up comedy, I decided I was going to give up my job and be a stand-up comedian Yeah. pretty much before I'd even tried it. And I was very fortunate at the time that they were giving out, um, giving out to make it sound like you know, what he was getting them. But the, the Enterprise Allowance Scheme in England at yeah. the time, yeah. uh, where, where basically they gave you a, a, you know, a, a start-up amount uh, if you got a grant, which I did from the Prince Charles Youth Business Trust, yeah. and um, a weekly amount as well to to kind of support your income, um, they often called it income support back then as well. Yeah. And I started doing that as a comedian and ran my own comedy club. Wow! Yeah. So by running my own comedy club, I, I was emceeing uh, because it was cheaper that way. <laughs> I, di I didn't mind if I didn't get paid, but I obviously had to pay the acts that were, a lot of them were, were traveling up from London to Birmingham, where the club was. And I very quickly realized I didn't really have that much material. So I started experimenting with a few other things that were interests of mine at the time. One of them was magic. Yeah. Um, another one was handwriting analysis, which I somehow managed to turn into a performance piece. <laughs> and another one was um, memory exercises, like, you know, sort of memory demonstrations. So memorizing very long numbers given to me by the audience or lists given to me by the audience. Yeah. Um, 
and of course now nowadays we just call that mentalism but but yeah, yeah. <laughs> back then i didn't really realize that's what i was doing i was just sort of having fun and and trying to turn some of my interests into um in, into a an, into something entertaining basically mm. Uh, during this time, I went up to the Edinburgh Festival for about four years in a row, not always as a performer, um, usually as an audience member. And on one of these trips, I met Hugh Lennon and Hypnodog, <laughs> the uncle of um, the the Christina Lennon, who's on Britain's Got Talent yeah, at the moment. Been, yeah, yeah, I've just, funnily enough, I've just been uh, um, um, writing about. Ah, Oh, there you go. It's just been on, literally just been on this evening here in New Zealand, yeah. where I'm where I'm now based. Yeah. More about that later. Um, but I met Hugh and we discussed sort of hypnotism and I asked him how he got into it. And he told me that he worked on a cruise ship as a magician. And one day he'd been asked to record the hypnotist's act. So he'd done it. I don't know whether it was a video camera or whether it was a um, kind of dictaphone, but he'd recorded the hypnotism's act for him, the hypnotist's act for him. And um, then a couple of days later, the hypnotist was sick and Hugh did the hypnotist's act, having learnt it from the recording. Mm. And that's how he got into it. Cool. So, I was really intrigued, so yeah. I said, oh, you know, how, how can I do it? Can I record your act? And he said, well, no, but here's a couple of books you can, you can try. And um, I, th I think the, he recommended the Encyclopedia of, of Stage Hypnotism, which is the McGill, McGill one, yeah. yeah, which I got at some stage. I also bought Paul McKenna's Hypnotic World, which is more of a kind of autobiography, really, yeah. but yeah. there was an induction in there. I just didn't recognize it as such. Yeah. Um, and I read those cover to cover and I tried various things and, you know, became really interested in the subject, but didn't really, didn't really get very far, or at least I didn't think I was getting very far. Mm. Um, fast forward quite a few years. First person I hypnotized was my first mother-in-law. Uh, <laughs> I managed to stick a mouth shut, and, and stop, <laughs> which is probably every married man's dream. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to go on public record saying saying my, my honest thoughts about such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and here's me. I told you I didn't do mother-in-law jokes. <laughs> yeah. But no, it was um, it was fascinating because I, I'd, I'd been practicing on, on my then wife uh, for, for quite a long time and... Um, you know, it, nothing was working, nothing was happening. But the, then she sarcastically introduced me to her mother as a hypnotist. And sure enough, I tried a couple of things. It was literally the book in one hand and, you know, her her in the other hand, if yeah. you like. And um, the, a couple of things worked. And I was, I was a bit sort of surprised and shocked, but also thought that maybe she was just playing along to appease me. Sure. Um, and then read a couple of other books and hypnotized a friend of mine but again kept thinking oh he's just playing along you know he was he was pretty stoned at the time actually so i thought that had a lot to do with it as well <laughs> and it wasn't really until later uh, that i realized that i had hypnotized them you know and yeah uh, it wasn't until a lot later that i realized that i'd done everything i needed to do mm -hmm. but i just for some reason kept looking and um i, I learned hypnotherapy through various sources 
And it wasn't until um, I came to New Zealand and tried to sort of revive my comedy acts and realised that maybe a lot of my references in my comedy acts weren't really hitting the right targets and um, thought, well, I'll give hypnosis a, a go and um, started doing some hypnotherapy for sort of acquaintances and family friends and um, then started doing some street hypnosis which very quickly led to doing my first stage show mm. Mm. so done a bit of radio do tv at the moment here in new zealand yeah um, and i i mean i i've seen some i've seen some amazing stuff of your work and, and you teach as well yeah yeah i teach other people i was kind of forced into that really there's um, a young guy who used to be based here he's, he's not here anymore he's based in poland now uh, nathan thomas oh yes from keys to the mind he used yeah. to be based in auckland and he was 16 at the time and nobody would let him on a hypnosis training mm. course because of his age yeah so he managed to convince me to train a whole bunch of hypnotists in a room just so he could attend a training course <laughs> um and that was that was pretty successful and uh i filmed a couple of those training courses which became dvds and then online training and yeah, I haven't haven't done any training of a group for for quite a while, but I do do some one on one stuff with people. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I I I, I have to say, you know, I thought um, um I, I've got a lot of your material, and um I, I absolutely loved it, absolutely loved it. The manner, the way in which you go about it, your approach um um is is beautiful as far as I'm concerned. Really, really enjoy it. Really, really liked it. Um. And and, oh, and one of the reasons that I was so keen to get you to come and to come and be part of Hypnosis Weekly, um, um, you know, it's it's a fascinating um, a fascinating story and a fascinating background. Um, um, where where you are now and and with the kind of projects that you're involved in and so on, um, I, I just want to focus a little bit on on the subject of hypnosis. Um, I, mean, yeah. I know it's a bit of a I know it's a bit of a hot potato of a question, um, um, but how how do you define hypnosis? You know, where do you stand as far as that's concerned? And perhaps you could tell us a little bit about how you arrived at that particular definition, um, and and how you go about explaining hypnosis to your clients or your audiences and the people that are involved in in the kind of projects where you're the hypnosis professional. Yeah, um, <laughs> definition first. Let's let's attack that one because I did yeah. actually um, write down a definition a, a few weeks ago, and then I tried it out on somebody, and they said, "No, that's not quite right. That doesn't cover this." And you know, I've thrown it backwards and forwards a little while, but I've got a, a fairly lengthy definition which I think covers just about everything. Sure. And I, I'm going to nervously recite it to you because. <laughs> You might say, ah, oh, but that doesn't cover something else. Oh, no, I think no, no, it... no, no, it's never my job to comment upon <laughs> upon your answers, I promise. Well, I'll tell you what I've got, right? For, to me, hypnosis is the mechanism through which a person is led to a subjective experience, and that experience is marked by the perception that their normally voluntary actions are manifesting involuntarily mm. and through the influence of external stimuli or that their involuntary responses can be influenced. Mm. 
Right. Uh, it's long, but I'll break it down for you because for, for me, it's all in there, really. So the first of all, hip hypnosis is the mechanism through which a person is led. That's quite important to yeah. me because yeah. my definition of hypnosis, another person is required for that hypnosis yeah. to lead the hypnotee somewhere. Yeah. Okay, so there's a hypnotist is required to lead the hypnotee somewhere. Yeah. It's a subjective experience. I fully believe that everybody is different. Yeah. And it's quite possible that everybody experiences hypnosis differently. Mm. It seems to me when I ask somebody what they've experienced, there are some things in common, but a lot of the time people just just can't really explain it or they they say very different things yeah and i think it's a bit like color perception in, in that subjectiveness yeah absolutely that we, you know i what i see as blue i'm sure i i know that all of the blue objects you know i'm looking around me now and i can see all of the blue objects in the room and i'm sure you would point out the exact same objects but how can we know that we are seeing the exact same color it's it, yeah. you know it's subjective um, the next bit was that it's marked by the perception that they're normally voluntary actions are manifesting involuntarily. Mm. They believe that something's happening automatically without their conscious involvement. Yes. yes. Whether it is or not, we could probably debate for another hour. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They believe that something is happening automatically that they have no conscious involvement in in other words they're not making it happen mm. so what is making it happen well that's the next bit it's through the influence of external stimuli so they believe it's happening like this because something or somebody has induced it to happen yeah and the final bit which is the bit that i added after conversation recently was that um or that their involuntary responses can be influenced because without that bit at the end, you look at something like pain control, which hypnosis works very well for, and you say, well, how is that a, you know, that's not a normally voluntary action. So in other words, it's an involuntary response that can somehow be influenced. Mm. Well, you know, first up, first up, I'd like to start clapping my hands right now and just saying bravo, because, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that, not just the amount of consideration that that, that, that has been given, but also the fact that the different sort of sections that where, where you were, that, that you just sort of divided that into, I think, could probably make you know full blown pub discussions all night in and of themselves. Um, <laughs> there's some fascinating stuff there, you know. Um, um, definitely, I think I, I will have to invite you on um, to just so that we can have a future show. Um, um, just discussing the, the the all the different kind of concepts that surround the notion of involuntariness um you know because i love those discussions um, um i really do there's yeah. some there's some fantastic um um components in there and you know the, the people that are listening i think there's there's a huge amount to research investigate and explore with regards to that um sure sure um so 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 how did that you know how's how have you arrived at that i mean is, is that where you started as far as hypnosis is concerned and, and you've just kind of been faithful to that forever or is that something is that something organic that's grown into what it is today um and, and do you then explain hypnosis in the same fashion 
to audiences? I mean, do you explain it at all when you're doing the street stuff that you do, um, um, the stage things that you do, the TV work that you do? I prefer to demonstrate somebody. Yeah. And, you know, if I can demonstrate to someone and make them believe that something can happen automatically for them, uh, only because I suggested it, then then I've got hypnosis. Mm. And and it can be as simple as um, an idiomotor response, you know, something like a yeah. pendulum. Um, we, we've all used pendulums and, and the whole yes and no thing. Right. You know, it, make it, show me a yes with the pendulum and, and the pendulum swings in a particular direction. Now show me a no and it swings in another direction. Well, what I've worked out is that if somebody's doing that, then they believe that they're, it's happening automatically, okay? Yeah. So what you need to add into that is your influence on that. And it can be as simple as holding a hand near the pendulum or holding your finger in a, in a line underneath the pendulum and, and watching as the pendulum follows the line of your finger. Mm. Now, what you've done there is you've shown them that not only is it happening subconsciously, and I'll, I'll openly say to people, are, are you doing that? And they say, no, I'm not. And I say, you are, but you're doing it on such a minute level that it can be considered subconscious mm. and now watch this. And then I influence that. And then what I've done very clearly is demonstrated to them that I can then influence their subconscious. Mm. So not only are they having automatic movements that they believe they have no conscious control over, but suddenly I can demonstrate to them very clearly that I can have an effect on those movements. Mm. Mm. And, really from there you can go anywhere you know you can you can springboard <laughs> into all kinds of things yeah. and and for a while there i looked at things like that that pendulum demonstration and then said well what would be a good induction to lead into straight away from that right and, and i looked at other kind of icebreakers that i do and, and and thought okay so what am i demonstrating what facet of hypnosis what facet of that involuntariness am, am i demonstrating which will springboard into something else and very often by finding what works for them you're already starting to work out well what's this person going to be good at as far as entertainment goes yeah you know what skit can I use which utilizes this same skill, if you like? If mm. you go, oh, they, they're good at doing that, then I'll do this, you know? Mm. Mm. Um, um, which is, um, you know, a, a good, you know, I need to doff my cap to that because, um, um, you know, in order to be able to, to be in that place, you must have a good repertoire, you must have a good level of skill and ability just to be able to... to, to you know, i.e. things wouldn't need to be as planned and scheduled as somebody like myself would have to do. If I was going to do a performance, you know, I'd be thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, I need to do this and then I need to do that. And then I and, and be ticking off a, from a list, you know, it'd be, it, sure. would be, it would be very mechanical and very cardboard and probably not very entertaining at all. Um, I think. Um, yeah, I think you, you kind of have to give the illusion that it's organic because, of course, as, as soon as somebody gets wind of a script or of a structure, then they're, they're a little less likely to, to, to go along with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I found, I think it's all the computing experience I had early on, to be honest. Mm. You know, as a software developer, you develop um, an algorithm or a flowchart, if you like. Yeah. 
So if X happens, then branch off in this direction. However, if X doesn't happen, then you need to go off in another direction. Uh, and that's what we're doing really is we're, we, we haven't necessarily pre-planned that flowchart in advance, but we're working our way through a flowchart knowing where we want to get to. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, or knowing, you know, one of five places that we want to get to. Yeah. And, and, and having to adapt to say, oh, okay, well, I thought I was going to go to place A, but actually this person looks like they're going to place C, so I need to go there. And, and you're constantly thinking on your feet. You are. But, of course, it's, you know, it's seamless to them. Yeah, yeah. I, them, I mean, I, you know, it's it's very impressive for me to hear such a thing. Um, um, so, so, Reg, tell me a little bit about about your influences, your major influences. I, I mean, you've cited a couple of books. Um, yeah. um, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about some of the books that have that have taught you the most and the reasons why. Um, um, and you, you know, the, the kind of teachers that have been the most influential upon you and why. Um, um, tell us about a, a bit about your influences. Um, I think I, I do have to go back to that first kind of Paul McKenna book that I read mm. because it, it, it really kind of ignited my interest. That was 1993 that that first book of his came out um, mm. in the wake of his very successful television series in the UK, yeah. um, which really ignited my interest in the whole thing. It was more the fact that this guy who was a radio DJ yeah could suddenly become a hypnotist you know i was sort of interested in that journey right um, being somebody that had fairly recently started being a stand-up comedian i thought well if a radio dj could do it then surely somebody with a stage experience could do it too so so that was that sort of ignited the spark um allman mcgill's encyclopedia of stage hypnotism i <laughs> i still look at it every now and again I still have it, and yeah. I still look at it every now and again, but I, I really didn't get that much from it, to be honest. I bought a book called Hypnosis for Beginners by William W. Hewitt, yes. the author, and that's like, that was actually quite good. That was quite good in that it structured various inductions. Um, and it sort of dis described various scenarios and, and, and the scripts that would take you through these various scenarios. And in fact, that was the book that I successfully hypnotized um, a friend of mine with. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize it at the time, but, you know, we've, we've spoken recently and he said, oh, I, I probably would be one of the first people you hypnotize. And I said, I thought you were just messing about. But he said, no, no, you know, it really works. Yeah. Um, Bit later on, I did some distance learning. I did uh, Gilboyne's transforming therapy. Oh yes, on the VHS tapes, yeah, or, or a little bit of it anyway. The bits I could afford. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was interesting. I really liked Gil's style. Yeah, um, really liked where where he took things. Uh, I don't think I could ever quite be that authoritarian. No, sure. Um, in fact, I, I firmly believe we, we, we were talking sort of off mic about, um, about family and children. I fully believe I became a much better hypnotist once I became a parent. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's just, interesting. Just think about the style, you know, it's sort of like a very, it's almost like an impatient parent <laughs> rather than a, an authoritarian figure. You, you're sort of getting quite paternal if you like with people and i think you can achieve quite a lot with that sort of tone yeah um i did 
more distance learning. Um, Professional Board of Hypnotherapists in Canada had some training, which is Alan Eastman. Hmm. Um, There's a very cheap diploma of clinical hypnotherapy that I did with the Robert Shields College. I mean, this is just... yeah. You can see I was just trying to find something that would explain this thing to me because I I really didn't believe I found it. Hmm. And then it wasn't until I read um, Jonathan Chase's book, Deeper and Deeper. Yeah. In conjunction with an ebook by a, I think he's from, I think he's English, but he was based in Ibiza or you know one of the resorts in Europe, Alexander Duval. Ah, right, yes. He, he had an ebook, and those two really taught me everything I needed to know. Yeah. And, and particularly, particularly Jonathan Chase's book, which yeah. was you know yeah. really really helpful and just told me everything I need to know. And I kind of went, ah, and it was, you know, like a, a, a light bulb moment reading Jonathan Chase's book. And I wrote to him because I, I did a TV thing in New Zealand and I used one of the inductions that he described. And I wrote to him and said to him, like, I'm, I'm not sure what the etiquette is. You know, if I if I was speaking to another comedian, of course, I'd never go on stage and or, or in, even on TV and repeat the material of another comedian but i just went on tv and i just did one of your inductions so i just wanted to tell you about it because i'm feeling quite guilty now yeah and he never actually got back to me until the clip appeared on youtube (laughs) and then all of a sudden he did get back to me but he wasn't uh he wasn't cross he pretended to be cross but um, he actually took me under his wing for a bit did jonathan and um was was very very helpful there was a time when we used to speak every other week on the telephone for an hour or two and um, yeah you know really really kind of looked after me in those early days great so that's that's yeah, I mean, a, I mean, a, a really, a really wide depth and breadth of influences there, and um, um, you know, I, again, again, I think it's probably testament to all the other experience that you draw upon, um, that you've that you've talked to us about, talked to, to to me about during during the uh, your own journey that you've come up, um, and that, and that you are so distinctive, um, and the, the and the way in which you present yourself and the way in which you do. Um, hypnosis is you know it is so distinctive that you're still able to draw upon um, and and create things of your own you you know do you you think do you think that's accurate for me to say that I think it's very nice of you to say that Um, I yeah I just I I do get it I get a real buzz from performing yeah and I think when you're in that when when you put yourself under that sort of pressure it really it really shows you how creative you can be because it really is sink or swim, you know? I mean, it's, they, they call it dying on stage when you do badly. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's akin to dying, you know, you just, yeah. everything inside you falls apart and the people that have paid you just think what on earth have we paid for? So by putting yourself under that sort of pressure where you are really having to think on your feet, it's, it's, it's amazing how creative you can be. Mm. But, mm. but of course the, the, the wonderful people that I get on stage to assist me, the, the volunteers, just make it so so pleasurable yeah. <laughs> at the same time, you know. And and I, I always say to people starting out, they say, oh, what if I can't hypnotize that particular person? I say, well, they'll, they'll, they'll apologize to you. you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the worst yeah, that happens. Yeah. Indeed. Um, you know? Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I, I've, I've, you know, 
I've been looking at some of the stuff that, that you've done and some of the projects that you've been involved in. Um, and even just this morning, some of the stuff that we were talking about, you know, before we started recording today, for example. Um, um, and there's some really impressive and some really creative applications of hypnosis that I've seen you be involved in. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, some of the things that you found to be the, the more impressive applications of hypnosis that you've directly borne witness to, you know, um, um, that you've had sort of direct direct engagement with some of the more impressive applications of hypnosis? Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I've been really fortunate in, in that I've been asked to do some some incredibly creative projects. You know, I, I wish I could take credit for some of them, but they've been born in the minds of other people, and I've, I've been the facilitator of them. Mm. Um, but I was, I was speaking to my wife about this actually just a few days ago because um, we were, we were watching one of the things that's on TV at the moment, and 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 a guy who I'd hypnotised just. I made him believe that everything was very heavy and he picked up a, a, a cup of coffee that had just been made for him and he dropped it immediately on the ground like it was really, really heavy and he said to the guy behind the counter, do you have any light milk? <laughs> now, it's, it's happened so many times that somebody that isn't necessarily a trained comedian or would ever consider themselves to be a comedian manages to come up with a, such a brilliantly structured joke <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, you, yeah, that you couldn't write for them, you know? You, you really couldn't write for them. People often say to me, do, do you feed those lines to those people? And, and I say, well, no. And, you know, they just seem to come out with them. And there was a, another example was a guy that um, I made him think, there were three people on, on the stage because I do often work with just, you know, three volunteers on the stage. I don't, I'm not one of these people that believes you need 20 to 30 people on the stage. Sometimes you can get some really lovely shows from just a small number of people. And um, there were three people on stage. I made one of them think they were watching a, a, a funny movie. One of them think they were watching a scary movie. Typical kind of, you know. <laughs> hypnotism sketch that you do and then the guy in the middle i made him think he was watching a, an adult movie okay so we got somebody watching a, a comedy somebody watching a horror and somebody watching porn basically yeah. yeah now i don't always ask them what they're watching but for some reason this this particular time and it was being recorded by somebody i did decide to go to the guy that was watching the adult because his expression on his face was so fantastic so i decided to ask him what was going on and he just pointed in front of him at the imaginary screen and i said what are you watching and he pointed at the imaginary screen and he said two dudes <laughs> and of course it was just you know, brilliantly funny and in the clip, you can see me just sort of wander, wander away from him, and just you know, how am I going to, how am I going to recover from this? Because I, <laughs> I really want to crack up laughing, but I'm meant to be, you know, in control. I'm meant to be keeping like this sort of thing happens all the time, you know. And I never asked him whether there were two dudes and somebody or somebody else involved, or whether it was just two dudes. You know, it was just, it was just one of those moments. But there was a, a time when I was doing, um, I, I did a, a project quite recently. So I switched between English, English and New Zealand English. So I'll say project and project, depending on what sort of sentence it's in. But I did a uh, project with an artist where, uh, to cut a long story short, I had to hypnotize people who had something to do with plants and trees. 
so there was there was a botanist there was a gardener there were people who were involved with plants and trees and somehow in their in their jobs and lives and i hypnotized a girl who was a gardener to believe that she was speaking to a plant and that the plant could understand her and that she could understand the plant mm. and then we conducted interviews with the plant using the um the, the scientist as a as a conduit yeah so uh, as, a, as a translator so the interviews with all the interview questions were written by the artist the the idea was the artist's idea yeah um one of the questions was about um, an earthquake because we we've had a series of earthquakes here in new zealand uh 2010 2011 and it's had a huge impact on the city and the city's um, flora and fauna. Mm. So I asked this this um, this expert, what what did you make of the earthquakes? You know, I asked the plant through the through the expert, <laughs> what did you make of the earthquakes? What did you make of the the earth moving and the earth shaking? And the plant replied <laughs> through the person, the earth's meant to do that. Mm. And it's just one, and it sent prickles down my spine, and and everybody standing by watching just went completely silent because we'd all been through this earthquake, and we'd all thought of what an inconvenience it was for us all, but actually, the Earth's meant to move like that, mm. Mm. and it took this um, this gardening expert speaking to a plant to make us realise how selfish we'd been in a, in a way, you know? Yeah. Uh, the earth's meant to move like that, and, oh, gosh, how inconvenient that we decided to build buildings that didn't didn't cope with that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I'm fascinated by that, and um, um, with your permission, um, um, I'll include the, the, the YouTube clip um, um, on the on, on the on this particular page, um, oh, um, on, on on our page on the um, Hypnosis Weekly website, for anybody that would go and like to go and just have a little bit of a further um, explore of that particular project that Reg was involved sure. with, because it's it's fascinating. And one of the things I was saying um, um, prior to recording with Reg was that it was just so good and so beautiful to see hypnosis being used in that way. <coughs> in that creative fashion yeah thanks i mean i'm making it sound like i'm i'm awfully arty farty but i'm not you know i just i i enjoy i enjoy other other applications of hypnosis you know i i, I love the 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 funny stuff that <laughs> stage um you know i i I quite selfishly indulge in, in incredibly funny shows with fantastic audiences and wonderful volunteers, but I'm very fortunate that I also have other projects that I get asked to be involved in, which are a little more, not serious, but just a little, a little different, you know? Yeah. Um, I got asked by a, <coughs> a Russian vodka company, I'm sure you know which one, <laughs> to, to do a, 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 a 10 minute routine in the middle of a, a fake training exercise mm. and um they they sort of said well you've got to do it six times during the day to six different groups of people you've only got 10 minutes but you need to demonstrate hypnosis because you're agent hypno and we're trying to make it out like it's a military boot camp and you're our secret weapon so you know, I, I again talk about thinking on your feet. I think I must have been the fourth 
hypnotist in New Zealand that they'd asked to do it. And, of course, everybody else said, no, it's too hard. <coughs> Are you okay there, Adam? Yeah, 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 excuse me. That's um, okay. Um, you, know, you know, that... that that was a, a you know a, a fantastic project, and um, again you know testament testament to you and the way you um, 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 went about it, um, um, you know. But but also, um, um, had had any of the people that you were working with in that project um, um, was that the first time that they'd experienced hypnosis when they were there and then, or did you get any opportunity to speak to them before? With the plant project? No, I, the, the vodka project. Oh, no, no. And I didn't even... It was a room full of, of um, sales reps. It was a room full of um, alcohol reps. Yeah. And, no, I'd got, I had no opportunity to work with them at all. In fact, it, it so went it so like, quickly. Ten minutes to, to orient them to it and elicit your outcomes. Um, yes. Um, yeah. um, and do that six times. Yeah, yeah, and and it worked every single time. This is the other thing: is that you know the 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 guy at one stage said, "What if it? What if it doesn't work? <laughs> what if it?" Because what I was doing was making them. It, the The theme was the war against bourbon. Okay, the <laughs> vod, vodka's biggest competition here is bourbon. So it was sort of a you know why drink bourbon? Let's drink vodka instead. Yeah, and um, this, this probably needs to be an. Over- rating warning on this podcast <laughs> yeah. <episode. laughs> but um so what i did was i worked on the room full of people i'd say there were probably 60 people in the room each time and i worked on a room full of people and narrowed it down to one person and made it really hard for them to say the word bourbon until i touched them on the forehead right um, and that was all it was, but it was, you know, <laughs> the, yeah. the 10 minutes was narrowing it down to that one person and making yeah. them unable to speak, yeah, unable yeah. To, to say the word bourbon, basically. Yeah, and a big cheer from everyone because they were unable to speak the name of the enemy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, until I touched them on the forehead and then they blurted it out and everybody booed. Yeah, it was, <laughs> <laughs> they cheered when she couldn't say it, they booed when she could say it or, or he. Yeah. Um, so that's that's pretty much what i did i didn't get anybody up on stage i worked while they were still in the audience so to speak right we had to give a warning that if anybody didn't want to take part they were to go and stand at the back of the room because of course not everybody wants to be hypnotized or um, given the opportunity to be hypnotized so we asked people to stand at the back of the room if they didn't but that all helped (laughs) <laughs> with um, with the process you yeah, know as soon yeah, as somebody yeah. else said if you don't want to be hypnotized you better get out of the way now you know it's yeah. it sort of sets it up really well for for me to go in there and just say yeah you know i've i've been plucked from the bars and clubs of new zealand where i've honed my my art and and yeah i've been seconded by the the military to to perform this exercise on you <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah, they knew it was all all a big half, but um, the the hypnosis was very real, and yeah. that's that's important to me actually. Is that even when I do because I do a bit of mentalism as well, I try and make it as real as possible. I try and incorporate some real elements in there. Yeah. So you know, if I'm forcing simple example, if I'm forcing a card, I would rather force a group of three cards on somebody and then try and work out which one of the three they actually are thinking of. Right. 
Got that. So, you know, it looks like a, a, I'm narrowing down from, from 52 to 1, but actually I'm narrowing down from 3 to 1. But in the narrowing down of that 3 to 1 card, because I'm actually doing some work and I'm doing some real divination, then it looks to all intents and purposes like I might as well be narrowing down from 52 to, to 1 because they can see the work happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, sorry. Yeah, um, um, you know, the, 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 these experiences are just music to my ears. I could just, you know, listen and 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 ask you about them um, and, and go on and on. Um, I, I just want to, I, I want us to just sort of uh, go back in time a little bit, um, um, if you'll indulge me here. Um, um, if you could go back to when you when you started out as a as a hypnosis professional and knowing yeah. what you know now. Um, um, you know, with that very colourful career that you've had, you know, is there anything yeah. that you'd do differently at the beginning? And if so, what? And you know, is there any advice that the the person you are today, the hypnosis professional you are today, would give that that younger version of you that was starting out? And would you extend that advice to, you know, hypnosis professionals of today? Yeah, I think I probably would have stopped the um, the education a lot earlier. <laughs> Um, and actually, and actually, done more practical stuff uh, because I really believe you don't truly learn until you're out there doing it in the field, yeah. whatever whatever area of the field that you're involved in. I believe that you know you actually have to have to be out there working with people. Um, so I probably wouldn't have done all the distance learning stuff. I probably would have just trusted that what I what I knew worked. Mm. and mm. I'd go out there and try it on several people. And I'd, I'd say to people, especially people starting out, don't try the same thing over and over again with one person who it's just not working with. You know, get out there and try it on other people as well. Yeah. So yeah. I think I probably would have done that. I probably would have been a bit more brave back in the early days and just tried it on more and more people. Yeah, real-life human interaction. Yeah. 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 Um. Um, um, that's really good to hit. Simply because where we're at with time, Reg, um, um, we, we're going to be back and we're going to be discussing a lot more in a short while. Um, but but just tell tell our listeners where can people go uh, if they want to learn more about your work, um, your approach to hypnosis, and so on. Where where can people go and explore the world of Reg Blackwood uh, uh, in any more depth? My website is regblackwood.com. Yeah, so that's probably the the hub. Um, it's been a bit neglected, but I've 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 started to um, started to make it mobile friendly yeah. since since the search engines decided they're going to penalise us for not being mobile friendly. So yeah, that's I know had that all some, too well. <laughs> that's had some work recently. So um, yeah, RidgeBlackwood.com is usually the hub for everything. There's um, there is actually a blog on there where I post. Uh, usually my my latest news latest videos yeah so that's, and, that's um, um, I'll also with with your permission I'll include a I'll include a link to your um to your Twitter account as well because you you post a lot of really great stuff um, ah. um on there as well um Oops. you know I, I mean I recently was laughing to myself um in my office this week uh with with an appearance that you had on a breakfast tv show over there um yeah um, which was which was just great stuff um, um, Reg, thank you for that, for that, 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 that first of all today, so much in there for people to, to, to really get a hold of and get their teeth into. Um, um, we will be back with Reg Blackwood in just a few minutes time. 
I really enjoyed that. Now, we'll be back with Red shortly. Let's have a look at this week's hypnosis in the news. The first story this week is covered by the majority of media outlets and was referred to uh, and referenced by Reg in our earlier interview. And it's entitled Britain's Got Talent Hypno Dog Owner Christina Lennon is Trained Hypnotherapist Offering Sex Therapy. So um, uh, the Mirror, the tabloid uh, here in the UK, the Mirror, have managed to get the word hypnotherapist and sex in the title at the same time. Well done, you tabloid. Uh, the story has divided viewers of the popular TV show, it would seem. This is the story that uh, dog Princess owned by Christina Lennon, featured on Britain's Got Talent, um, and tried to hypnotise Simon Cowell. The dog was the hypnotist in the act. Yes, indeed. Some stories report that the dog failed to hypnotise him, whereas some stories suggest that Cowell was sent to sleep by the dog. The dog owner is a trained hypnotherapist herself, um, so maybe she trained the dog in the skills required for her own stage hypnosis performance. Uh, Simon Cowell apparently responded well to the suggestions he was given to be nicer to the acts that followed. Uh, the members of the public were divided, however. Uh, me? I'm probably not going to give it a thorough examination. It's a dog. It's a bit of fun. I found it to be more entertaining and less detrimental to the hypnosis field than the ITV show You're Back in the Room, hosted by Philip Schofield. I'll leave it there. Our second story is staying with Simon Cowell, however. Apparently he is trying to stop smoking uh, ever since the birth of his baby son, Eric. Hypnotherapy has been used and he's still smoking, according to a number of articles. Now, my issue with this particular story and uh, the other places that are covering this story is the way it frames this. You know, for example, he's even had hypnosis and he's still smoking. Apparently he lit up just minutes after his hypnotherapy session. Hypnotherapy to be effective for stopping smoking requires some effort, some active collaboration on the part of the individual who is being hypnotized. The evidence base for stopping smoking using hypnosis is not that impressive at all, to be honest. You know, refer to the end section of our previous podcast, our previous edition of Hypnosis Weekly, whereby I talk about that in some detail. The evidence does suggest, however, that we really do require the client to be more than a passive recipient of hypnosis who expects something just to happen to them as a result of it. Um, to simply step out of a session and light up shows very little ownership, and I can't help questioning whether he really wants to stop smoking and if he's really being prepared effectively for what it truly entails. Now then, our third story uh, entitled, We Hypnotised People to Make Them Feel High. I love this story. This is nothing new, however, when I first started out in this field, I used to run a trypnosis tent at Glastonbury Festival using hypnosis to help people get high, uh, naturally, without anything, uh, you know, without consuming anything. Uh, we only did it on the first night of Glastonbury because everyone was pretty out of it by the second day onwards. Uh, we even took the people into the dance music tent afterwards, after our trypnosis, um, and danced around with other revelers and offered imaginary lines of cocaine to other ravers, to which one guy even replied, oh no, I don't touch that shit man. 
Ha! There was nothing there, but it was so believable to him. The power of suggestion is indeed a beautiful thing. I even offer audio sessions at my website designed to induce natural hypnotic highs. If only more people realised what could be done and how they can be made to feel, the more people would do it more often, I suspect. Think of the economic repercussions, the distinct lack of hangovers, and so on. Now, this article and this particular clip is brilliant, in my opinion. It shows people getting genuinely high on imaginary versions of specific drugs delivered by hypnosis, including cocaine and MDMA. Watch the clip, because the guys really reacted, not just psychologically, but in physiological ways too. They got dry mouths, <laughs> they got the giggles, they got feelings of euphoria. It's awesome. Hypnosis can be enjoyed in so many ways than people first suspect. Do go have a look and, a, and an examination of that particular story. Links to all these stories are listed under this week's podcast entry on www.hypnosis-weekly.com. You'll notice I've gone fairly easy on the news stories this week. You know, it's our first time back after our hiatus and I'm doing my best for things to be as upbeat as possible. Next up, we have this week's professional discussion then. When I got in touch with Reg Blackwood, um, there were so many topics I hoped he would want to discuss with me. Um, and being a fan of his training from the materials that I'd been sent by Reg a few years back, I could easily have indulged selfishly, you know, m myself and the things that I wanted to talk about. When he mentioned the notion of hypnotherapy potentially being a sort of middle class thing and the use of social enterprise to make it more accessible to the masses, um, um, a, a light bulb went off in my head and I thought it was something very different and intriguing to feature here. Um, I'd love to hear from you listeners as to what your thoughts are and heck, if you have any ideas of how to make such notions work, do get in touch with me and maybe you, I and Reg could work on some joint project of that ilk. Here is this week's professional discussion with Reg Blackwood. Enjoy. <music> So I'm delighted to welcome back uh, this week's guest, Reg Blackwood. Um, this week we're going to be talking about something uh, certainly not being covered in previous episodes of Hypnosis Weekly. And um, um, you know, when, when, when I was asking Reg um, um, about the kind of things that he felt strongly about and the kind of topics that we wanted to discuss, um, something really, really piqued my interest. And um, it's this idea of what hypnotherapists can do to make hypnosis available to the masses. And that is, i.e., not just perhaps the middle classes. Um, and, you know, one of the things that Reg mentioned initially was that, that as an interest, um, as an industry, we do seem to be good at tackling middle class problems. And, um, um, you know, that perhaps we could champion some of the other breakthroughs with regards to integrating into the NHS here in the UK and so on. And so um, um, some of these concepts are something that we thought we'd, we'd explore and discuss a little bit today. Um, um, Rich, do you want to quick kick us off with some of your initial thoughts with regards to that? And then perhaps I can, I can offer up some of my own and, and, and ask you a few questions and we'll see in the kind of direction that we go in. Sure. Um, having practiced for a, a short amount of time as a hypnotherapist, I very quickly realized that the sorts of people that were coming to see me were people that were 
um, middle class people who were able to afford the fee. Yeah. Consequently, they had very middle class problems. Yeah. <laughs> um, Wanted to perfect their golf swing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm being stereotypical there, of course. Um, 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 not the same thing. Middle class problems. What sort of things are you, are you referring to? Um, <laughs> the, you know, you get a lot of kind of um, stress-related yeah. stuff. Um, you yep. get people who feel that they need to lose weight when they really don't. Yeah. Um, it just seemed to me very kind of you know middle-class people that were kind of. It's almost like they were going for a massage. You know, you were their you were their mind massage. Often, I'd get people, and they wouldn't really have a goal. You know, yeah. they just wanted to come and and, and switch off the, the the outside world for a short time. Which there's nothing wrong with that. I don't, you know, I don't think in itself there's anything wrong with that. But as long as that's the only group of uh, the only part of society that we're ever dealing with. That yeah. We're missing out on a, on a whole bunch of people who maybe couldn't necessarily afford our fee. Yeah. Um, yeah. And consequently, I think hypnotherapy is seen as being a middle class thing, a bit like counselling is, you know. Um, I, I'm saying this because I'm, I'm from the West Midlands, which is a very, very kind of working class um, background. I, I, yeah. I, I have a very working class background, which I'm, I'm very proud of. I'm, you know, I'm not ashamed of it at all. But, no. but growing up, our... GP was the source of everything, you know. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I remember going and be, being told that oh, you're just worried about your exams, and 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 pretty much, you know, I just toughen up. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, because, because counselling wasn't really available to us, and 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 help that that people really needed wasn't didn't seem to be available. It wasn't until I moved to London that I realised that, you know, all my friends were in bloody therapy. Yeah. You know, and had been since their high school days. Yeah. And and it just sort of occurred to me that yeah, hyp hypnotherapy is really kind of lumped in with that whole kind of counselling therapy, talking therapy kind of world. Um, which is fine, except that it never seems to dip its toe into the into the to the rest of society. Yeah. Um I'm, I'm quite altruistic, you know. I, I do, uh, as well as the hypnosis. I, I do some other work um, with with people with um, very high needs disabilities, is is what they're described as. Yeah. And um, you know, the, these are people that do have real problems, you know. Yeah. And it kind of makes you very cynical when when you're listening to somebody complain about how hard their life is. When you you have somebody that, that that can't communicate verbally, that they they can't toilet themselves, and they pretty much need one-on-one -on -one support twenty-four hours a day. Yeah. You know, the the contrast between the two is is really quite profound. Yeah. Um, as part of this work, I, I've I've come across a thing called social enterprise. Yeah. And and social enterprise just keeps it just keeps rearing its head in, in, in my life and in, in my work. And, um, you know, there's an example. Have you heard of Tom's Shoes? Mm. It's a, a, a website sells designer shoes. For every pair of designer shoes that you buy, they will send a pair of shoes to somebody that needs a pair of shoes in a third world country. Right. Um, and it means that they're making slightly less profit per unit, but they're selling far more units. Yeah. 
<laughs> so social enterprise is basically where profit is secondary to the greater good or secondary to the benefit to the community or to, or to wider society yeah. and it's, it's quite a fascinating model because you can apply it to almost anything like there's a coffee shop just just in the street that i live in and if you go into the coffee shop you can buy a coffee for somebody else right uh, and yeah and you don't know who that person is that you're buying the coffee for. So you buy a coffee and you say, I'll, I'll also have one. Um, I'll, I'll have one on hold. Um, there's, there's a place in New York that started, they call it pending coffee. Yeah. So you say, I'll, I'll, I'll have a, a, a latte and, and I'll, I'll have a, a pending one as well. Yeah. And that means that you've paid for two coffees and then somebody that's, um, that's homeless or somebody that's struggling financially can walk into the coffee shop and say, have you got any pending coffees? Great, um, and if they if they haven't, of course, somebody in the queue will go. I oh, will, yeah, I'll I'll get it, and the, the 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 it works out the same way anyway. Now, consequently, word gets around, and the the coffee shop becomes very popular because they're doing something for the greater good. They're doing something that actually benefits people that are less fortunate in the community. Yeah. And I, I, I was just thinking, wouldn't it be nice if, if hypnotherapy could follow a similar model somehow? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. um, I think one of the, one of the things that, that, that I, I sort of alluded to um, um, when we were chatting before, uh, again, before the recording is um, 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 one of the, one of the things, you know, I, I'd like to think that um, the vast majority of people involved as hypnotherapists have some element of altruism within them in order that, you know, because that's what that's what drives them to go on and 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 do this. Because, you know, yeah. I, I sincerely don't think that that many people go into the field of hypnotherapy with dreams of being a millionaire, for example. Um, um, so I'd like to think that, that there would be an element of, of altruism in there and, and that, that, that it, it ought not be too difficult. I think one of the biggest challenges that we sometimes have is the correlation between the value that the client places upon the therapy and yeah. um, um, the, the, the efficacy of the, of, of the, of the therapy. Um, and so by that, I mean... I've worked with people, um, you know, over the years of my own career that have perhaps had their sessions paid for them by someone else and yeah. they've not been as receptive or they've not valued the sessions in the same way that someone who's paid for them themselves has done. Um, um, I think sometimes that's a challenge with 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 kids whose parents are paying for their sessions, for example, um, if they've not been really, really thoroughly or comprehensively vetted and 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 chatted to beforehand i know also that in the embryonic phases of my career when i just wanted to um i just wanted to build my my experience of dealing with more complex issues and so on um, over and beyond my case studies when i was fairly newly qualified I went and worked for a subsidised charitable foundation, um, the Wessex Healthy Living Foundation, and offered my services virtually for free. So I was getting paid virtually nothing, um, and and but my services were offered by that foundation um, for for highly subsidised um, um, levels. So a lot yeah. cheaper than if someone was coming to me directly, and sure. um, um, 
there was there was a real mix of people. So that is that that I would say that the vast majority were just thoroughly grateful and invested themselves in it. Um, um, but there was the odd the odd person here and there that perhaps it d- didn't value it as much. You know, that there wasn't as much of a loss if they didn't derive. And my approach to therapy as well, being being a very sober one and having a very um, 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 in particular, the cognitive behavioural elements of, of my approach to hypnotherapy requires people to invest themselves in in engaging in the tasks and doing doing homework and so on. And I found that if people didn't value the sessions, they often didn't properly participate in, in yes. a collaborative fashion um, um, in that way. And so I think I think at times there were... Um, there were that there were some struggles for me on that on that on that basis and on that level which which for me then means if we could somehow elicit the support of other perhaps perhaps it means more conventional medical agencies or people that perhaps have authority that that is listened to such as doctors um um and and um, more conventional physicians of different types that say that say to those individuals, look, you've got to, you know, you, you've got to engage in this. You've got to follow this. If it's going to be free, for example, through the NHS, if the doctor is supporting it, I think that then lends itself to people valuing it more. Um, sure. Um, and and if if they are then brought on side, if we if we looked at the depth and the history of hypnosis you know even even somebody like mesmer um um you know he worked with masses of the proletariat as well as the aristocracy of the day he would you know it's it's fairly well charted that he'd go and work for free um um, helping and working with the masses um outside of the aristocracy that he also worked with primarily charcot um um, got to work with masses in a kind of village that he was assigned to and got to hone their skills got to do lots of things so i think there's a huge amount of reward and benefit to be had for the field and for everything else that we do Um, um aside from that 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 kind of issue of of people valuing valuing what we do sure sure um i i understand what you're saying and i know that the nhs has had some success with an ibs program i believe was it helen bremner helen bremner yeah yeah who who i'm hoping to to have on um um, in in a couple of weeks time here on hypnosis weekly so, so we've seen it seen it work. I believe it was successful anyway, and and, and of course it probably it, it's, it's no longer happening. So it probably fell foul of the the, the funding system. Mm-hmm. And I think this is part of the problem is that um, times have changed. Times have changed, and and you know the, there aren't people willing to go out there and give their their services for free. I mean, there mm-hmm. simply aren't. Mm-hmm. But also, we don't have um, a glut of funding from government government bodies and I think we can't depend on that and I don't think we should wait for that to happen but what social enterprise enables you to do is to get private funding yeah good, good point. you know there's a lot of people out there that, that are willing to put money into um, projects which which happen in the in their immediate community um, so that they feel they're making a difference and I think if we're I, I, I hear what you're saying. If somebody buys something for somebody as a gift, 
then they don't necessarily see the value in it. And I think that becomes very important for hypnotherapy. If you're stopping somebody smoking and you're saying, look, I'm going to do it because, you, you know, you need to stop smoking, I'll do it for free, then it's likely to be less effective if, than if you're charging that person, um, what, what do they charge here, 230 New Zealand dollars to, to, to make somebody quit smoking. You know, yeah. they're, they're much yeah. more likely to quit if they've made the $230 investment. Yeah. However, I know for a fact there are people out there who are desperate to quit smoking. They have a desperate need to quit smoking and they're starting to look at something like hypnotherapy, but they just feel, rightly or wrongly, they feel that that $230 is just completely out of reach for them. Yeah. Now, if somehow that could be sponsored by a private individual or a private group, then I'm I'm pretty sure that the that the value will be realised and that that person's therapy will be as effective as if they paid for it themselves. Yeah. I, I'm not I'm not sure, you know. And there needs to be a way that. Um, and, and again, I'm talking about opening, opening it up to the wider market, but also I'm now going to say, well, we need to weed out those people that are just going to, you know, it, it, that it's not going to have much effect on because they really don't want to quit in the first place. We can't, we can't force it on them, you know. And, and I'm, I'm using um, non-smoking as, as an example, but I, I did some work on weight loss with, um, you know, Jenny Craig is the organisation, right? Yeah, and and I actually kind of not illegally but um i i knew somebody that was the jenny craig representative and she referred some clients to me yeah and so i saw them and it was quite an eye-opener for me because they were very different clients to the clients that i'm used to you know these were people that were obese they were clinically obese and they had a real need like a, an urgent in some cases medical need to lose weight yeah um, rather than the you know forty something um, mother that just feels that she needs to, uh, to to look good because she's recently divorced and all her mates are going to the gym and blah 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 she's back on the dating scene and you know it was a very different type of, of client yeah. and yeah. Um, I think that's what sparked this whole interest realizing that there's a whole bunch of people out there that given the option of hypnotherapy and taking away the fact that they probably couldn't afford it and not making that a problem for them anymore would probably find a great deal of success with it yeah 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 uh, I, 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 I. I hear that. Um, um, you know that, that 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 makes a lot of sense as well. I suppose um, um, in order for or for for perhaps you know um, um, private enterprise to come and engage in 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 you know with those kinds of concepts and with those kinds of notions, they might require a sort of evidence based protocol to be involved or something along those lines. And um, I, I, I'd just be interested. I know it's a very slight digression. What are your thoughts, Reg, with regards to um, evidence based approaches to hypnosis? Well, again, I think what, what we're doing is, is we're, we're attracting a certain group. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And uh, we we have to look and say, well, who are we attracting with with evidence based practice? Who who is it attracting? What sort of people is it attracting? It's probably attracting very scientifically minded, very kind of um, skeptical people that you know need evidence to to back up what they're going through. Sure. Okay. Um, and I think 
that that's not a bad thing because it, again we're we're looking at a different market so we're kind of broadening already what what it is we're doing um i think personally i think the you know the only evidence that matters is the evidence that you show them th there and then but of course in order to show them there and then we've got to get them into the therapy room in the first place yeah. so I, I think anything that we can use as a marketing tool to get people through the door is a, is a good thing you know i really do um however I, I also would like to see the same amount of time and effort and the same amount of questions asked on podcasts yeah. and, uh, and, and, and various internet forums about other approaches that we can use to approach to, um, to attract other groups within society as well. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I, you know, I, I, I hear that. I understand that. Um, um, I acknowledge that. I think, um, um, you know, I mean, one of the things, one of the, the, the great things um, with regards to um, um, one of the things that appeals to me anyway, you know, as a bit of an evidence based Nazi from time to time, as I as, as is my bent, um, yeah. uh, is that somebody like Helen Bremner um, and her program, for example, boast, um, um, you, you know, are able to please both sides of 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 that because you know there, there's an evidence base to to support what she does um in order for her to to get her program into the nhs you know um um, sure. um but nonetheless would probably um benefit from private enterprise to come and to come and be involved in a, in a program like that yeah I, the I NHS, also... you know struggles with with funding the, those kind of programs sure I also think we've all seen things when we're working with clients that we we really should be recording and we really should be sort of spreading the word about it. Yeah. You know, we've, yeah. we've accidentally stumbled upon an approach that's worked for a particular client. Um, and I think it's really important. See, we're in danger here of saying that the whole industry needs to be regulated. But I really think that we do need to keep um, more accurate records and we need to get quite good at recording our own evidence so that we can somehow feed into this um this this pool of resources that everybody should should have access to yeah yeah um so, so that we become our own um evidence-based practitioners yeah and that information becomes a, a a sort of a you know a very free share between people in the industry yeah absolutely um um Funnily enough, that's something that quite a lot of my guests um, um, have have said um, when they've been when they've come and been been on the show. When I've asked them about uh, when I've asked them that question, um, quite a lot of people have said that. Um, um, Reg, we're we're out of time. We're out of time, which is which is a bummer. Um, it's a bummer for me because you know I want to, but but on the other hand of things, you know it's really late over there in New Zealand, um, yeah. and you know I have to again give my utmost thanks for you uh, enduring a late night when you have a nine-year-old, uh, a nine-week-old baby at home as well. Um, <laughs> um, uh, you know, he's uh, sleeping very well. <laughs> I would love um, to have you invite you back um, for for another future episode of Hypnosis Weekly because there's so many other things that that I'd really love to discuss and chat and and talk to you about. Um, my sincere thanks for you coming and being involved um, um, today, uh, Reg Blackwood. Thanks for asking me, Adam. It's been very interesting and, and a lot of fun. Great, my pleasure. Thank you, Reg.
great topic, um, great subject matter there with some with some real insight. Do get in touch with me if you have any thoughts with regard to the things Ridge and I were just discussing there. Um, a link to Ridge's personal website and uh, one of the clips mentioned in our earlier interview do feature at the Hypnosis Weekly website. Go have a look at that. Um, on to this week's hypnosis fact. Our fact is direct traditionally worded hypnotic techniques appear to be just as effective as permissive open-ended indirect suggestions and this is according to a meta-analysis uh, conducted by Lynn Neufeld and Mayer in 1993. Although it's often claimed by people promoting commercial workshops, in particular on Ericksonian hypnosis, that the indirect approach is dramatically more effective than direct suggestion, especially with so-called resistant clients. This appears to be little more than marketing hype, according to the evidence. Indeed, this review of 29 independent studies comparing direct and indirect suggestion styles was conducted by Lin and his colleagues, which found both sides, um, both styles, broadly equivalent in terms of their effectiveness. They found no evidence across the studies that indirect suggestions improved responses to test items on hypnotic susceptibility scales, as Ericksonians had predicted, or that they somehow bypass a subject's resistance. Also, there are actually indications that direct suggestions are in fact superior to indirect suggestions in terms of modifying subjects' experience of hypnosis. And that's on page 138 of that particular study. Plenty more that could be discussed there. We'll leave it there for this week. In our next edition, I'll be welcoming US-based stage hypnotist and hypnotherapist Paul Ramsey. I interview him and we'll be examining some really fascinating ideas around the subject of hypnosis training that may challenge some of you, uh, but I think you're going to love it in the end. I have many more exciting guests uh, that will be welcoming to Hypnosis Weekly in coming weeks too. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating, and above all, remaining friends. To repeat, all the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions, so do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website and I'll make sure they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else and really help us reach the hypnosis field. My thanks again go to Reg Blackwood. Thanks to you for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now.